class. I hope you brought your textbooks tonight on ancient Israelite geography. Please pull those out now. We'll need to be referring to all of it. I'm only kind of kidding, okay? I'm only kind of kidding. Um, it's a pleasure to preach, man. I love, I love this. Uh, okay, in your Bible, uh, we're going to be covering tonight Joshua 15 through 17. I'm going to have you turn with me, if you would, to chapter 14. And uh, we're going to look at verse number 6 and read through the end of the chapter uh, for a couple reasons, which I'll explain here in a minute. But I think a little bit of review wouldn't be too bad to, uh, to start with going into the context for chapters 15 through 17, which are bound to be very exciting. I will go ahead and warn you, although I will not make you refer to ancient Israelite geography tonight, uh, most of your Bibles probably have a map in the back, and you can refer to that map when you get home, if you would like to, um, and uh, kind of see some of the boundaries and the stuff that we're reading about. It helps to get a visual, um, although I, I think we're going to kind of hit some themes that are a little bit different than geography tonight, just for everybody's uh, sanity, all right? So uh, let us dive into it, and I won't clap like that again so I don't freak the sound guys out. Um, uh, Joshua 14, and starting at verse number 6, it says this, Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said unto them, Thou, or said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old I was when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. Now, that's an important phrase, but I wholly follow the Lord my God. And Moses swear on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, with the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness." While, excuse me, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. As yet I am strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me, as my strength was then. Even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. So this guy is 85 years old and thinking, I'm just as strong as ever. I've known a few people like that, right? Now, that, I feel like that's going to be Jake. Absolutely. He's 85. I'm like, yeah. He's still going to be out in the woods and all that. Now, therefore, give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Hebron, for an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron before was Kirjath Arba, which Arba was a great man among the Anakims, and the land had rest from war. I want to preach a message entitled, Why Are These Chapters in the Bible? <laughs> 
And I know you were thinking it, because I was thinking it when I was reading it. And I thought, well, why don't we try to answer that question a little bit tonight? Because Romans 15, 4, it's one of my favorite verses of the Bible. I feel like I say it every time I get up here. But it's still true. And it says, whatsoever was written aforetime was written for our learning. This was written aforetime, therefore it was written for our learning. So let's learn. Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for your incredible Bible. Even the passages, Lord, that maybe on first glance uh, are hard for us to understand. Why they're even there. uh, Why they matter. Do they even matter? Who were they written for? Who were they written to? Lord, these are all uh, questions in our day that are important for us to answer. Lord, we believe that your word is the inspired, infallible word of God. And we believe that if you're going to hold us accountable for every word that, that we say, Lord, in that day, then we believe that every word that you said matters, certainly. And so we uh, thank you for the opportunity to explore these texts and figure out how they apply in our lives. We love you, Father, and in Jesus' name, amen. So I wanted to start by going back to chapter number 14, really for two reasons. Number one, because it simply uh, sets up the context for what we're going to be looking at in 15 through 17. Also, it's a lot more exciting narrative to start out with than drawing boundary lines, okay? So that's kind of another little bonus reason there. The second big reason, though, is because I, I really think as I, as I looked at 15 through 17, I kind of wanted to get a sense for, you know, what's the controlling idea of, the, of, the, of these passages of Scripture? In other words, what, at the end of the day, could we come away with and say, here's a lesson that we could learn despite all the weird little things that are going on in these passages. And so I'm going to give you that from the outset so that we can kind of work together and and get there. And I really think that the the passages could, could be something like this, to say something like, don't settle for less than what God desires for you. Don't settle for less than what God desires for you. Uh, Caleb was a great example of a man who did not settle for less than what God desired for him. In fact, arguably, he was an overachiever, right? At 85 years old, he's taking on a tremendous challenge, and we're going to talk about that as we, as we go along. So I will be uh, mindful as ever of the time, and that means I need to move. So the first thing that I want us to see as we start to look at Joshua chapter 15 is God's specific promises, okay? God's specific promises. So I'm just going to read a little bit of chapter 15 here. This then was the lot of the tribe of the children of Judah by their families, even to the border of Edom, the wilderness of Zin. Southward was the uttermost part of the south coast, and their south border was from the shore of the salt sea, from the bay that looketh southward. And it went out to the south side to Melah Akrabim, and passed along to Zin, and hath ascended up on the south side unto Kadesh Barnea, and passed along to Hezron, and went up to Adar, and fetched a compass to Karka. Boy, isn't this exciting stuff. <laughs> From thence it passed toward Asmon, and, and went out unto the river of Egypt, and, and the goings out of the coast were at the sea, and this shall be your south coast. And, and the east border was the salt sea, even unto the end of the Jordan, and their border in the north quarter was from the bay of the sea of the uttermost part of Jordan, and on and on and on that piece of it goes. I want you to hop down with me, if you will, back to the story of Caleb. So we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to go to chapter, uh, same chapter, chapter 15, and zoom down to verse number 13, because that sort of goes back and looks at the story of 
Caleb again. And by the way, it is kind of cool if you do the geography thing and you go back and you look at a map and you kind of cross-reference with these areas. It is kind of cool to see like, oh, well, here's where this story took place and here's where that thing happened. And um, I would go through all of that, but I'm just afraid we wouldn't really remember it. Um, and I think there's some more important, bigger lessons that we can take from it. So I hope you'll give me some grace on, uh, on not going so much into the geography tonight and trying to hit some, some bigger themes. So let's read uh, from uh, verse 13 then to verse 19. And unto Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a part among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, even the city of Arba, the father of Anak, which city is Hebron. And Caleb drove thence the three sons of Anak, Sheshai, and Ahiman, and Talmai, the children of Anak. And he went up thence to the inhabitants of Debir, and the name of Debir before was Kirjath Sefer. And Caleb said, He that smiteth Kirjath Sefer and taketh it, to him will I give Akash, my daughter, to wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it, and he gave him Akash, his daughter, to wife. And it came to pass, as she came unto him, that she moved him to ask of her father a field. And she lighted off her ass, and Caleb said unto her, What wouldest thou? Who answered, Give me a blessing, for thou hast given me a south land. Give me also springs of water. And he gave her the upper springs and nether springs. So the, the short uh, little bit of what's going on there, the second half of that is talking about um, this uh, woman was given basically an, a pretty arid land, right? She was given land, but it was kind of arid. And so she said, hey, well, you know, I did all this. We did all this. Could, could I go ahead and um, get a little bit of nice land too? Could I get some springs as well? And he says, yes, absolutely. Okay. And. Of course, that story centers around his son, um, Othniel, and Othniel, what, well, so Othniel was the nephew of Caleb, and he became the first judge when you move over into Judges. So that's a name you might recognize. He was the first judge to judge Israel. I want to talk about the first bit, though, a little bit, uh, verses 13, mainly through, through 15, okay? And uh, if you're in my Supernatural, a.k.a. Defense Against the Dark Arts class on Wednesday nights, then uh, this, some, some of this is going to be maybe a, a little bit familiar to you. But, you know, one of the things I like to help you do is draw threads, right? Uh, draw threads around different things in scripture that it's like they're there and we've always known they were there but maybe we've not like thought about how they were connected you know it's all connected um it's kind of like that okay and so I want to talk about Caleb's inheritance and his conquering of the giants okay so the land that Caleb asked for we all are used to hearing it you know preached like oh give me that mountain I want that mountain that's cool the word uh mountain there it's often translated and it's because it's what it means is hill country Okay, the hill country. So what Caleb's asking for is the hill country in the land. And it, it's more than just, you know, him asking for a, a mountain and a nice patch of land. Uh, it would be a nice patch of land um, after all the giants were drove out of it, okay? So Caleb understood what the original mission was going into the promised land. They were supposed to do a few things, okay? They were supposed to, it wasn't just like random war. Okay, everything in the Bible is set behind this supernatural backdrop, okay? And when we're looking at Joshua and the conquest narratives of Joshua, you see a couple different kinds of instructions that Israel is given with respect to the people who are there. And there's like four or five different Hebrew words that I'm not uh, going to bore you with. The, the one that I think is most important um, is called harem, karem. And um, harem means devoted to destruction. 
And so you will see uh, two or three times in the book of Joshua specific people groups and specific areas of land associated with those people groups that are devoted to destruction. The other four or five terms, uh, three or four terms, I guess, would have to do more so with the idea of driving out. And then sometimes they're related. So uh, I think we can all agree there is a difference between driving out and destruction. Is that fair? There's a difference between the two. Okay. Unfortunately, uh, a lot of times the, the children of Israel did not do either of those things. And we're going to see that as we go along. Like I said, don't settle. Right. That's the big picture idea here. Don't settle for less than what God wants for you and asks you to do. And it's kind of like when we tell our children things like, you know, don't try to wrap the thing for the, you know, the, the drawstring for the window around your neck because it will hurt. And they do it anyway, okay? It's kind, of, it's kind of like that. It's like we don't just say things, you know, for, for, for our benefit, to hear ourselves talk. It's, it's actually for your protection. It's actually for your safety. Um, it, it's, it's for your survival. And in fact, as, as a parent, I don't just want my children to survive, although I do. And so, sometimes that is the standard I'm going for on any given day. And we're barely getting there, okay? So, uh, yes, yes, survival, uh, but also the idea of thriving. I want my children to thrive in the world. I want my children to thrive in the kingdom of God. And I, I, I do, even though I fail every day, I do want to do my best to help set them up for that. Well, this is what God wants for his people as well. This is what he wanted for, the, for Adam and Eve in the very beginning. Uh, he gave them all the conditions that they needed. He gave them paradise. He gave them everything they could have ever wanted to be just fine and dandy. And that wasn't good enough, right? And all throughout the story of the Bible until the present day, we're living in that same very reality. And what I just want to, again, keep bringing you back to is don't settle. Don't settle for less than what God wants for you to do in your life, in serving God, in serving people around you, okay, in just obeying his commandments, okay, following his word. So Caleb was committed to that. He was committed to that. And, and he knew that to that point, the job had not been completely finished. In fact, it's one of those strange things. Um, in Joshua chapter 11, um, Joshua's going back and he's sort of summarizing what they had been able to accomplish to that point. And he talks about how they uh, were able to drive out most of the people that they had been asked to drive out, but not all of them. And as we see here, um, later on, they, some of them would become indentured servants and all kinds of things. But bottom line is they didn't listen to what God wanted. Except Caleb. Caleb said, yeah, I'm 85 years old, but I'm still kind of feeling like I want to wake up every day and slay some giants before breakfast, you know? And so, so seriously, that's what he did. He was committed to the purpose of God. Now, giants, you know me, I got to talk about giants for a minute, okay? So this is just one of those cool threads that I want you to pick up on and come visit us on Wednesday nights in Defense Against the Dark Arts class if you would like more, okay? So here's the deal, Okay. When they go into the land, okay, what did they see? They saw giants, right? Remember, they send the 12 spies in, okay? And Caleb and Joshua are like, yeah, we can take them. We got this. It's all good. And the other 10 are like, yeah, but them guys right there, they tall. You know what I'm saying? They tall. And we don't want to deal with that, okay? We're not feeling like giant slaying, okay, this time. And so, of course, they wandered the wilderness for 40 years. They go back in, and then they eventually do get to take 
over the promised land after a lot of fighting and a lot of unnecessary things. So the story of the giant started back in Genesis 6, which Pastor Jake had me preach on one time here. And it's, it's kind of like the first question you get in, back in, you know, you know, when you go to seminary and stuff. It's like, ah, oh, who do you think the sons of God were in Genesis 6? Well, regardless of that, uh, the the fact is the Bible says that there were giants in the earth in those days and also after that, whenever the sons of God went into the daughters of men, etc., etc. Without getting into all the boring details, there were giants before the flood. The flood wiped them all out. There were still giants after the flood. They failed to drive all the giant clans out. And what's interesting is in the supernatural worldview and mindset of ancient Israel, it wasn't just about land and about kings and about kingdoms. Once again, there was a whole supernatural backdrop there, okay? And the events of Genesis 6, 1 to 4, whatever you believe about them, the fact is, is that was considered a, a big part of why the world was the way that it was in terms of the evil that was abounding in the world. So Genesis 3, sin is introduced. Genesis 6, sin is proliferated. And much of the Old Testament is set up as a supernatural war between Israel and the gods of other nations, and before that, the big, bad, giant clans. Now, you say, well, why don't we talk about those at all when we get to the New Testament, okay? And once again, without boring you with all the details, in the period of time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, which scholars refer to as the Second Temple period, because it was the time of the, when the Second Temple, Second Jewish Temple was built, we might refer to it as the 400 silent years or the uh, intertestamental period, however we want to talk about it. During that period of time, a belief had arisen that the, uh, about the origin of demons, okay? And now have you, this is one of those things, have you ever thought about, like scratched your goatee a little bit and thought, you know... How come Jesus kind of comes on the scene? We even talked about it a little bit today. How come in the New Testament, Jesus kind of comes on the scene? And one of, like, the big staples of his ministry is that he's casting out demons. Why? We don't really talk about demons in the Old Testament that much, it doesn't seem like. So where did the demons come from? Why do they matter? Why do they know who Jesus is? Why are they, like, what, you came to cast me out before the time? Like, what's going on? Why is that such a big threat? Well, in that period of time, the writers, the Jewish writers who lived during that period of time, made the connection that the origin of demons was the spirits, the departed spirits of the dead Nephilim giants that were killed in the flood. What in the world? I know, it's weird, okay? I, I, I'm just the messenger, okay? I just study this stuff and then come tell you about it, all right? I didn't make it up and I didn't put it there. But I do know this. The Bible is set in this massive context of supernatural and spiritual war. And we're still in supernatural and spiritual war. And if you don't believe that, then you might have your head in the sand <laughs> just a little bit. Um, and I try not to watch the news, and I try not to turn on Twitter, and every time I do, I regret it. But the reality is, is that that's still the context for the war we're in today. And just like Caleb said, give me that mountain. I want the giant clans. I want to go into the hill country. I want to take care of it because I believe that I can't be fully blessed. I can't, I can't really have all that God wants for me until I go in and do all that God said that must be done. And so while others cowered. Caleb did not. Caleb said, Caleb conquered, uh, in fact, while others cowered. Okay, Joshua 16, very briefly. The result of disobedience is the way that I 
wanted to put this, the, the result of disobedience. And simply put, with the context that we've discussed at this point, um, it's, it's pretty clear to see that they, the rest of them, did not do as they were asked to do. So um, the children of Joseph were basically given Joseph's inheritance when they got into the land, Ephraim and Manasseh. And so they were given um, a bunch more land. Joseph was blessed with a double portion. So there was two big pieces to an Israelite blessing, okay? And you guys remember at the end of Genesis, Genesis 49, we don't have the time to turn back there, uh, Jacob was blessing his sons. And there was, there was two big um, things that were kind of given in an Israelite blessing to the firstborn. Of course, the firstborn, if you go back and read it, you'll find was a, a disgrace to Jacob. And so that uh, blessing of the firstborn was in a way divided between uh, Joseph and Judah, okay? Now, here's what's cool. So Joseph, he, he got what's called the double portion part of the Israelite blessing. He got the double portion. And he actually got to see that come to fruition because his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, were each given individual lots of land, which you can, again, go check your map and see they were given quite a bit of land. And here in chapter 17, they're still complaining about it. Anyway, they were given quite a bit of land, and they got the double portion, okay? Judah, you'll notice, was also given quite a bit of land, and that's because Judah got the other part of that firstborn blessing, and that is the rulership, the scepter, right? And so this sets the stage and sets the context for, of course, Judah and the line of Judah and Jesus being born through that line and ruling through the line of David and all of that, okay? All of that comes from the separation of that blessing, and that's essentially the message in the context of chapter number 16, okay? So let's then... Move on. Oh, well, before I say that, let me, let me go here and just say that verse 10 of chapter 16. It's not a long chapter, but verse 10 says this. And they drave not out the Canaanites that dwell in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites unto this day and serve unto tribute. Okay, so did they do what Caleb did? No, they left some of the Canaanites in the land. By the way, the Canaanites were absolutely wicked, absolutely awful. They needed to be drive, uh, drove out. They needed to be gotten rid of. And again, that, like Israel ends up, what do they do? They end up falling into idol worship. They end up falling into the, the worship of other gods, into massive sin, into massive just uh, adultery. And even their kings just totally go off the rails. And it all starts here. It all starts with failing to do what God said to do. Failure to drive out the Canaanites, okay? And so they didn't do this. And uh, it's interesting. You have partial obedience here, but not full obedience. And partial obedience oftentimes comes with just as many consequences as uh, blatant disobedience, okay? So we, we, must, we must do and not, again, settle for what God has for us. Realistically, leaving the Canaanites in their parts of the land led to their ultimate downfall. It really did. Okay, um, let's look at chapter 17 very briefly, and then uh, we will begin to wrap up. So uh, I kind of gave this the title of Women's Rights and Unfinished Business. Okay, again, there is a lot going on in these passages, despite the fact that they're 85% a geography lesson. Uh, but and that's why we're just kind of hitting the highlights, and, and hopefully you're uh, getting a little bit uh, something from this. So um, 
verses, uh, let's see, 1 to 6 in chapter 17. There was uh, also a lot for the tribe of Manasseh, for he was the firstborn of Joseph, to wit. For Machir, the firstborn of Manasseh, the father of Gilead, because he was a man of war. Therefore, he had Gilead and Bashan. And for sake of time, I'm actually going to stop there and just make a brief point. So this is one of those little points that's like, I don't know, you, you wouldn't ever know it unless you were like a super nerd. But uh, now you guys get to know it, right? Because so, I'm a super nerd. So um, Machir... Uh, the firstborn of Manasseh, it says, this is one of those little details, he got this land, Gilead and Bashan, because he was a man of war. He was a man of war. So what, again, why does that matter? Like we don't, why is that little tidbit there? Well, it's just an interesting point that Bashan was kind of a place that ancient Israelites would have seen as um, a, a, a evil Coming in from the north, there's this, there's this idea of, uh, called the foe from the north in, Israelite, in ancient Israelite scholarship. And the, the north is where all the bad stuff came from, okay? Way up north you had Mount Hermon, which was sort of the spot where the whole incident at Genesis 6 took place. And then as you're sort of like really entering into the main uh, area of Israelite land, which you'll see if you look at your map, Bashan is like the entrance, okay, into Israelite. And they, they associated Bashan with the place where wickedness and evil, and danger, and the wilderness, and all the bad stuff comes from, okay? And so the man of war was kind of given that place to be able to help guard that place. And so it's just kind of one of those cool little tidbits. There is a uh, series of events where the daughters of Manasseh here were, um, um, well, let me back up. So if we look here. So the uh, 17, three, to 3 through 4, let me just go ahead and read that. But Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, had no sons but daughters. And these are the names of his daughters, Malah, Noah, Hoglah, Milcah, and Tirzah. And they came before Eliezer the priest, and before Joshua the son of Nun, and before the princes, saying, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brethren. Therefore, according to the commandment of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among the brethren of their father. And it's another one of those just interesting little tidbits. That would not have happened outside of Israel. It just wouldn't have happened. Okay. And again, how do you fit something like women's rights into a message like this? Well, it's just in the Bible, okay? It's just in the Bible. Um, historical fact, the Old Testament and New Testament is uh, liberating and friendly and in adoration of women and the role of women and their place in society. And uh, that is something that it's unfortunate because internet, you know, internet infidels, as I like to refer to them, will often talk about how the Bible is misogynistic and, you know, they refer to places like the Apostle Paul talking about women's roles in the church. Um, You know, we live in reality, okay? The fact of the matter is there are differences between men and women, but we are all made equal, which you guys know that. I don't have to tell you all that. We know that, but it's just important. You need to see that that very thing that happened where only the sons would be given the land. In this case, the Lord, if you go back to the passages in Deuteronomy where that was settled, the Lord himself said, yep, Moses has spoken right. This is how it's going to be. If there's no sons to inherit the land, the daughters get it. And I promise you, that would not have happened outside of ancient Israel. Okay? So... Uh, of course, there's more unfinished business, and we have to wrap up. There's more unfinished business in these passages. If you look at the end of uh, chapter number 17, um, you see uh, verse 
Well, let's see. Let's go to verse number uh, 13. Verse number 13. Yet the children of Manasseh, or 12, uh, the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites would dwell in that land. Yet it came to pass when the children of Israel were waxen strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute, but did not utterly drive them out. What does that mean? Well, so they, they, they didn't drive them out, first of all. So that was the first way that they disobeyed. And then they said, you know what? Let's take advantage of this situation and basically make them indentured servants and give them, um, you know, the, make them serve us, okay, and take advantage of the situation and maybe we can make some money off of them in the meantime. Um, that's settling. That's settling for less than what God wanted, okay? Even if it looks like an, an, an opportunity that you could take advantage of, it's settling because it's not what God said to do. And then uh, we don't have time, but if you were to read the rest of, these, uh, of this passage, you'd see how they're just complaining. Manasseh and, and Ephraim, who were given all of this land, said, oh, it's not quite enough. Most of it's forest anyway. And, and uh, Joshua's like, well, get up, get out your chainsaws, cut the forest, go kill the giants in the hill country, and you have all the way. And they're like, oh, but we're so afraid because they've got iron chariots. Well, they were being a little bit dramatic. They didn't have iron chariots. They had wood chariots, maybe with some, uh, you know, iron things to help guard them or whatever. But, like, again, they settled. They settled. They made excuses. They whined. They complained. And by the way, we see that all throughout the rest of the book until Jesus finally steps in and rescues it. I'm already over time. Three very, very brief things. Why are these chapters in the Bible? First of all, real people, a real past with real promises. Okay? There's no reason for this stuff to be in the Bible if it ain't true. Okay? This is the kind of thing with the kind of detail that once you dig into it, it's just, it's not made up. It's the real deal. And for ancient Israelites, this, these were core. These were the kind of things that they loved to read, and they memorized them, and it made a difference in their families and in the way they conducted business. It made a difference in every aspect of their life, and it's one of the biggest things that separates Israel from every other ancient culture that was surrounded her, is that these passages are historical reality, and they believed, truly, in the fulfillment of God's promises, okay? Secondly is this, supernatural evil must be eliminated. That is the thread of Scripture. It's a supernatural war, and Jesus comes to win the war, to set the captives free. But guess what? you got to be on his side to win the war. And I think most people even today can look out, and even people who wouldn't even claim Christ or wouldn't even necessarily say that they're religious. It's awfully hard to not look out into the world today and see utter evil, utter evil. And Jesus conquered that evil. But again, you've got to be on his side. You've got to not settle for less than what he wants for you in order that it be eliminated. And then God had a master plan for the nations. So why are these chapters in the Bible? Real past, real people, real promises. Supernatural evil must be eliminated. It was true back then, and it's true today. And then God had a master plan for the nations. I love this verse. Acts 17, 26. And this is talking about God, of course. Had made one blood, had made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed in the bounds of their habitation. Look, the reality is nothing that we've seen here today is by accident. These chapters are in the Bible for a reason. They mattered to the original readers for a reason. They should matter to you and me for a reason. God is sovereign over all history. He's sovereign over all creation. And if that's true, and yet it's also true, if you just read through Matthew 6, that he sees the numbers 
be they few, of hair on your head. And he sees the sparrow that falls, and he knows uh, how the lilies are arraigned. Um, it's pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible. And we ought not settle for less than the best that he wants for you and me. Caleb didn't. I don't think you should either. Lord, thank you for this time together. I uh, love you. I thank you for the opportunity to preach these passages. It's really amazing. It's really incredible. I thank you for your word. Lord, we'd be directionless without you and without your word and without your guidance. But, Lord, thank you for this book. Thank you that everything that was written in it was written for our learning. Thank you for truths that we can apply to our lives as good and as precious as these truths and these promises. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Appreciate Steve uh, teaching through that. He had a